Do you or your child struggle with taking tests? Do either one of you have test anxiety? Today's podcast is all about handling that test anxiety and those struggles with suggestions and ideas that should uncomplicate your life a bit when you or your child take a test. Welcome to College Disabilities and Success, Episode 7, How to Get Better at Taking Tests, by Mickey Hayes. As you know, I've been a learning disability specialist at a college, and through my time as a learning disability specialist, I met dozens and dozens and dozens of students who all struggled with the same question. What can I do to pass a test? I'm struggling with tests. I get scared. I have test anxiety. I seem to know the material, and then I get in there, and I forget all of it. What can you do to help me? And those are rather daunting questions for someone to bring to me. And I made a decision early on that I was going to gather up as much information as I could from every possible resource out there that I could get my hands on to determine some of the best strategies and techniques that I could offer the students as suggestions. Now, some of the information that I learned dealt with how to study in itself. And I will be doing another podcast on simply how to approach the material and study the material. But for today's podcast, I wanted to talk about the test itself. And assuming that you have prepared and you've studied and you feel fairly comfortable with the material, what might you be able to do to address the concerns and the fear that you or your child is feeling because of that test? I've narrowed today's podcast down to six techniques. The first recommendation I make is if you are taking a test on campus in your class to avoid the door people. Now if you've ever taken a class at college you know who the door people are. The door people all hang out outside the classroom prior to the start of class and they sit in little clusters and talk about the information that they're going to be tested on and quiz each other and review for the test and try to do some last minute cramming. And that's all well and good, but honestly, if you're stressed about the test, avoid those people like the plague. Because, and I've seen this happen, if you go there and listen and somebody suddenly says to you, did you know the six steps for such and such and this and that and the other thing? And you suddenly go into a panic going, I didn't know we had to learn those. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Oh no, I don't know those. Panic, panic, panic. Well, that conversation, as innocent as it seemed, will set off an entire flight fight response where you just want to run and get away from that test and it'll kick your anxiety up to the sky. So you're better off avoiding the door people and be confident in what you've already studied because quite frankly, if you try to cram something in as you're going through the classroom and to take that test, all you're going to do is mess up what you've stored so nicely in your brain up to this point. Chances are you aren't even going to need the panic question that somebody asked you. When you are taking a test in a classroom on campus and you get there and you're waiting for the doors to open to go into those tests, separate yourself from the crowd, wait by yourself, Do a quiet review of your own materials in front of you 
but don't start having conversations with all the people at the door. And if anybody has done this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I watched one day an entire class of people waiting to go into a test, and it was like, you know, that old game of telephone call where you try and remember what the next person said? All of a sudden, you could see this panic just thread its way through the group because somebody threw out a question that nobody was expecting to have on the test. And nobody needed that kind of anxiety. And if you struggle with anxiety, you sure don't need that. So the first technique to remember is avoid the door people. My second technique to get better at taking tests and reduce your anxiety is something called a data dump. A data dump is something that you can do once you get into the testing environment, whether you're taking the test with the class, whether it's a computerized test, whether it's a paper-pencil test, whether it's an isolation in a test center. It makes no difference. You can do a data dump in any situation out there. What you need is a scrap of paper that you're allowed to take notes on. You literally dump out from your brain all the information that you have been holding inside that you don't want to forget that you know is going to be on the test. It might be a list of something. It might be somebody's name. It could be some key points that the teacher is going to cover that you know that are going to be covered on the test. could be any number of things. But once you dump it onto the paper, you don't have to panic about not being able to find it in your brain when it comes up on the test. Now there is one caveat that I have to warn you about. If you are doing a data dump, be sure to let the professor or the test monitor or whoever is in there, let them know that you're going to do this. Let them know that once you're able to start the test that you need a scrap piece of paper that you can jot down all the stuff in your mind that you don't want to forget. But it will be a scrap paper and you're doing it after the test begins. That way, nobody can accuse you of bringing a cheat sheet into the test with you. You want to make sure that who's ever monitoring that test knows that this is your plan and that this is what you are going to do. But doing a data dump can be a very effective way of allowing you to relax and kind of chill out a little bit and take a look at the test without fear of forgetting the information that you stored so nicely in your brain when you were studying. So technique number two is to plan to do a data dump at the test. Technique number three is to scan the entire test before you answer a single question. Technique number three is effective if you are taking a pencil and paper test Unfortunately, it won't work with a computer test. But if you have a pencil paper test in your hand, the first thing you should do for technique number three is to scan the entire test. Take a quick look and look at the easy parts and the hard parts. See if there's any that you know the answers to right away that you might be able to fill in on the test. Know that if there's a really hard one, just to put it aside and do the easy ones first because you want to get as many points as you can. What I've found is that students will rush through a test so they can have a whole bunch of time on doing a very hard question that they really don't know the answer to. And if you're in a situation where you've got a question on there as you scan the test and you go, oh, I have no idea, that is not where you want to start first. 
you want to save that for last. Because what will happen is you'll waste all this time trying to reimagine what you forgot to study or didn't know to study to come up with an answer. And then you're scrambling to do the parts of the test that you already know the answers to. So whenever it's possible, at least look through the test, get a sense of how long the test is going to take, how big it is. Are there questions on the back of the test or is it all one-sided? You know, teachers that hand you a paper pencil test sometimes put questions on the back and I have seen students miss those because they didn't turn the paper over. So scan the whole test, get a sense of how large it is, what's going to be easy for you and what's going to be a little more difficult, what you're going to have to guess at, and what you have no clue at all about. And that way, it gives you a sense of the whole test. What I've noticed in the past is students who don't scan the test, they'll start with question number one. And if question one throws them or it's hard, that pushes the panic button just a little bit. And they take a guess and move on. And then they hit question number two, and they don't know that one either. And so what happens next is they press that panic again a little bit more. They hit question three. By the time they've hit question three, if that's a hard one, it's all lost. As far as they're concerned, this is a no-win situation. And it might not be, because it could be that there's parts of that test that you can do very well on with information you already know, but you don't want to lose sight of that by getting all panicked on the first couple, two, three questions. So I have found that in most cases, students who do take just a couple minutes at the beginning to look the entire test over usually are more successful at passing the tests because their anxiety, which is struggling anyway, their anxiety kind of relaxes a little bit when they get to a part of the test where they go, oh, I know this one. Oh, I know these. Oh, this part's going to be easy. Oh, good. This one's a matching. Those aren't too hard to do. So you have this internal dialogue about what's on the test, and that way you sort of redirect your anxiety, and you don't allow the first one or two or three questions to throw your anxiety into a tailspin. So for technique number three, take a few moments and scan the entire test before you start answering questions, and try and answer the easy questions first if it is possible with the way your test is structured. Technique number four deals with Scantron tests. In college, teachers, professors like to use Scantron tests quite a bit. And one of the reasons is because they're really easy to grade. They have a a Scantron machine that they can run the Scantron papers through and they will automatically print up a score. So there's a real good chance in college that you will have Scantron tests if you haven't had them before that. Now, Scantron tests you bubble in the answer, A, B, C, D, or E, F, whatever. And they can pretty much set up questions for Scantron tests of all kinds. They can do multiple choices. They can do matching. They could do true and false, fill in the blank, pick A or pick B. What would you fill in the blank with? There's ways that teachers can get a really good sense of what you know and understand by giving you a Scantron test. So Scantron tests can have a couple of problems if you have a disability. And you may find that you need a scribe on a Scantron test because if you have a problem with keeping your place in the line 
or seeing the little dots that you have to color in, then you might be better off requesting a scribe as an accommodation for Scantron tests. Now, when you look at the test and scan the test first to see what's going to be easy and what's going to be hard, and you answer the easy ones first, which was my suggestion in suggestion number three, when you do that and you have your answers on a Scantron, you have to be very, very, very careful that you're answering the right question to the right number. Honestly, I taught classes as a professor for 11 years, and on more than one occasion, I've had students who, when I looked at the test, had missed a whole big section of the test because somewhere in there they got their line numbers mixed up. They skipped a blank, skipped a line, and it threw everything off one number. I've had students who messed up Scantron tests because they had to do a yes or no answer or a true and false answer, and they had them all backwards. So they knew the answers. They just had them all backwards. So for true, they said false. For false, they said true. So you have to be really careful of Scantron test. So if you have any trouble at all using a Scantron accurately, have a conversation with the disability specialist to see if you can get a scribe to help you out with that. But if you don't have a scribe and you're left to your own devices, double check every few lines. Make sure you're matching Question 25 on the test with question 25 on the Scantron. Question 32 on the test is 32 on the Scantron. Stop and check your Scantrons every four or five answers because if you're off a a notch, you don't want to discover it at the end of the test. When all of a sudden you're at test question 50, but your Scantron says 51, that's a huge problem because then you have to go back through the whole test and try and figure out where you messed it up. And that is not always easy, especially if you happen to answer one question twice and you just don't know which one it was. So technique number four is to watch very carefully and double check your place for your Scantron tests. Technique number five deals with essay tests. College tests often have something called a short essay or they have a long essay. One of the things you want to make sure of is that when you are doing an essay answer, that you know exactly what the professor expects. When you have an essay test, there are some things that you need to look out for. If it's a short answer essay, generally a short answer essay means that you answer with three or four sentences, not three or four words. And I have seen students who answer short essay questions with a few words, and they think they're going to get full credit because they think they gave the right answer. Well, if that teacher wants the short answer essay in sentence form, then that is how you should answer it. For longer essays, always start your longer essay by restating the question. So if your instructor says, What were the causes of the Peloponnesian Wars? The first line of your answer should be something along the lines of the causes of the Peloponnesian Wars were the following. Always restate the question in your first response. And that way your teacher knows, your professor knows that you are understanding the question and you're not going off in the wrong direction. Then plan out your essay. Think about the two or three or four points that you want to make and go in there and just do little on your scrap paper, do some bullet points so that you can 
keep yourself focused on each of those causes and explain in a sufficient amount of information, depending on what the teacher is expecting, explain each of those causes. You may also want to arrange accommodations for essay tests, if that is something that you need. You may need a scribe, someone who writes down exactly what you say. Now, having a scribe is not necessarily an easy thing, because a scribe cannot automatically edit your tests as you go along. The scribe simply writes what you tell that person to do. So you need to tell them, put a period here, and you need to tell them exactly what sentences you want them to write, and you need to make sure that the scribe is just writing down exactly what you said for your own protection and for the scribe's protection. Sometimes you can have the accommodation of taking your essay test on the computer. If that is a possibility and you prefer that, then talk to your disability services about that accommodation for your essay tests. Some professors want you to take it on the computer. They don't want you to write it out by hand, but maybe you feel the need to write it out by hand instead. Maybe that's easier for you then that might be an accommodation. So you have to think about your situation, your own test anxiety, and how you're going to address those essay tests, how you're going to respond to them, and how you are going to request accommodations for essay tests if you need them. So technique number five deals with setting up your essay tests correctly, doing a little bit of a brainstorming on the subtopics you want to cover in your essay tests, understand the differences between a short essay and a long essay, and talk to disability services if you need accommodations for your essay tests. The sixth technique that I'm going to offer you today is to evaluate your errors. I had a student who was really struggling in one of her classes, and I asked her to bring me her paper that was marked up by the teacher and let me see it because I needed to see the errors that she was doing on the paper in order to figure out how to help. And she wouldn't do it. She was embarrassed about what the professor was writing or scoring on her paragraph writing, her essays, and she wouldn't do it. I couldn't help her until I could figure out what the problems were. So for technique number six, I want you to analyze your test results. Look at the test, look at your answers, and figure out where you made your mistake. If you don't have access to the test, talk to the professor. Go there during office hours and ask the professor if they can sit with you because you want to take a look at the test and figure out where you went wrong. Now there are six errors, types of errors, that might occur on your test. Just quickly, you might have careless errors, you know, the kind where you just weren't paying attention, and you look back and you go, oh, I cannot believe I answered it that way. A careless error. You might have a test-taking error. Test-taking error is you forgot to look at the back side of the paper, or you skipped a whole section, or on that Scantron, you skipped a problem. Those could be test-taking errors. You could have study errors. You studied the wrong stuff. So if you find out that you studied the wrong stuff, then you need to figure out how to correct that problem before you take your next test. You could have direction errors where you just didn't follow the teacher's direction. The professor said answer in complete sentences and you gave short two or three word answers that were phrases. You didn't follow directions and that cost you. So that's a direction error. All of those, those four are pretty easy fixes. 
You just pay attention next time and do it right. But there are two types of errors that are a little more difficult that you really need to recognize. One is concept errors. Did you not even understand the concept that the professor was teaching? Did you miss the whole point of the information? Because that means that something has to happen. Maybe you need a note taker in class. Maybe you need somebody else in there who can help you learn the concepts if you're not learning them in class. You might need some tutoring. You might need to go to the tutoring center. But if you're missing the points of what the teacher is trying to teach you. You're missing the concepts, and those will show up on the test because you just didn't know the material. And this, the last big one is an application error. So maybe you understood the concept, but you did not know how to apply it in another situation. And this happens very often in nursing courses or medical courses. You might understand what they're telling you about in a medical situation, but when they tell you to now apply it to this case with these kinds of symptoms, can you take what you've learned and apply it to a new situation? Those are called application errors. The types of errors, those were six errors that I gave you. Careless errors, test-taking errors, study errors, direction errors, concept errors, and application errors. Of those six types of errors, Concept errors and application errors are the most critical and they're the most difficult to correct, but that's where you then take that conversation to the disability specialist, to the professor, and see what kinds of suggestions they may have that can help you learn the concepts and learn the applications for the material that you need to learn. The sixth technique that I talked about is understanding where your errors are Once you understand the kinds of mistakes you're making, you can correct for those, and that helps to reduce your anxieties for the next time when you take the test because you know you've solved the problem and you know you're able to fix it, and that takes the burden off of the panic that you might have when it's time to take a test. I hope that you thought today's podcast was valuable and worthwhile. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at mickeyteaches at gmail.com. That's mickey, M-I-C-K-I-E, teaches at gmail.com. I also have a course that I have developed to help you and your young teen plan for college. It's called College and Disabilities, Nine Changes from High School Every Parent Should Know. And that course is on my website, mickeyteaches.com. And if you go to that website, you'll see the course. You'll see some free materials that I have. You'll see many, many resources that I have about disabilities and a lot of additional information that you may find helpful. Thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care and have a good evening. Thank you. The information contained throughout this podcast has been gleaned from my own personal experiences. But to ensure accuracy, please contact the Disability Services at the college of your choice to have first-hand information and the most up-to-date policies and procedures followed by your particular institution of higher education. The content in any of these podcasts 
is not intended as a substitute for information from legal, educational, or medical professionals. Always seek the advice of your attorney or qualified health care provider with any questions you may have with regards to legal, educational, or medical concerns.